0: glad to have you today Catherine to have a chat about your role at Westpac and also you know the ethical issues that come to play. So I guess the best place to start is if you could just let us know what what is your position and what was your career path to getting to where you are today?
1: Thanks Chris and that's a pleasure to be here. Um, so my role is Director of Customer Vulnerability and Financial Resilience at Westpac. What does that mean? It means that uh, my team's responsible for setting the standard of care that we provide to customers experiencing vulnerability uh, and to advise and help our customer-facing teams to uh, deliver that extra care uh, and to also help our product teams think about how they might design and distribute our products in a way that um, doesn't cause Uh, financial harm or any harm, actually, uh, to customers experiencing vulnerability. We also connect with community groups because they very often speak to us about customers' who are so marginalised that they couldn't uh, complain to us even. So it's very important that we hear their voices because they represent customers who um, may not get a good deal from us and we're constantly striving to make those improvements. Um, How did I get here? Yeah. Um, I started out as a journalist and uh, I worked actually for a small paper in Bunbury, Western Australia and my um, gig was social welfare reporting. So um, with some crusted old journos who said to me everyone's got a story I started my career at walking the streets and talking to anybody just about their lives and listening Um, and mainly I focused on people who had a really tough deal in life and so I feel like with this gig I've really come full circle in my career.
0: I mean I think that experience of being on the ground and actually hearing those stories from the source and and feeling that the the pain or feeling the frustration or, you know, that, that loss or sadness has such a great impact um, in in the empathy that's required, you know, when dealing with anybody, not just people, right? So your role, you explained earlier that it's, it's an inaugural role. So it was created, is that off the back of the um, Banking Royal Commission?
1: Yeah, so roles like mine didn't really exist prior to the Royal Commission. Um, The Banking Royal Commission really held up a mirror to the whole industry and said, uh, we have to do better because we're all pretty embarrassed and ashamed by the stories that our customers told about poor outcomes for them. And I think we had heard them, but really their voice wasn't loud for us to understand particularly people in really vulnerable circumstances, how big systems, big processes, no ill intent, led to really bad outcomes. Mm. Um, and so really one of the things that we learned through the Royal Commission was we had to do much better. We learnt that as an industry. We changed our banking code. I think the APRA reviews uh, and the governance reviews that we've all done as well have said we did we looked at aggregate, we looked at scale, we didn't look at what we call edge cases in the industry, but you yeah, know, we didn't yeah. look at people whose lives were were not very good for them. They were having really hard times. How did what did we need to do differently?
0: Yeah. And you know, uh, working at the ethics center um through COVID starting 2020-2021, we've done quite a lot of work into vulnerability. And I was speaking to a professor, Susan Dodds, who said, you know, from her perspective, uh, vulnerability is something that is inherent in all humans and it just needs to be the right context for any individual for that vulnerability to bubble to the surface. How do you feel that that's happening in the bank? Are you getting that same experience? Is it changing what vulnerable looks like to you guys? It, it has. I think the COVID
1: um. The COVID experience that we've all been through, I think has really cemented what we'd already started, and that is we do consider um, from a customer perspective and our own people, actually, that anyone can be vulnerable. Um, It could be from a situation that you might experience, like um, the bereavement bereavement if somebody close to you dies, uh, or you might be experiencing domestic and family violence, or it might be that you um, have ongoing circumstances that can make you vulnerable uh, or have a heightened risk of harm or disadvantage. So for example, if you have a disability, it doesn't mean that you're vulnerable, but it may mean that if we don't make things accessible for you, um, you are vulnerable to disadvantage or harm. So I think we've really we've all now experienced that because we were all vulnerable from catching a virus, uh, from losing our jobs, um, from not being able to educate our children at school the normal way. So I, I, that has been a, um, a terrible thing for our community to go through. But in another way, it's been really good because I think there has been a compassion at scale mm. um, from all services. And I've seen it particularly in the, in the banking industry where we just accepted... Uh, this is what this is what can happen. It's no fault of your own, so we're not going to judge you for the circumstances you're in. We're just going to help you try to get through it.
0: Yeah. And how has that attitude shifted um, in the way that you actually approach the customer?
1: I think one. Of, yeah. Look, one of the things that I have definitely seen, probably over the last four or five years, has been people might complain. Um, to banks and we had an approach or an attitude and this is very much a generalisation but our attitude was we'll prove it prove what went wrong surely it didn't because our systems don't work like that yeah. now we have uh, more of an approach where we believe you um and it's it's we're not putting people through hoops we're saying yes we believe you we may do an investigation for example and find well didn't quite play out exactly the way that it's been presented but we then should be able to explain that and resolve it because there is somebody who's unhappy or there's been a poor outcome but I think that that's been quite a shift in an attitude from the industry.
0: Yeah and and do you think that's being received do you do you have a way of you know, getting feedback from the community and seeing if it's something that's you know being seen or heard or felt.
1: Well, I think we can see it in our complaints results. Okay. So um, from our from our bank, obviously we celebrate the complaints and we call them a gift because they are the gift of feedback. Um, and we have a really big program of taking those complaints and saying what was the root cause, how do we go and fix them, and to big program uh, with a lot of attention um, from executives and management to say we need to fix these problems. Um, And then we we do measure through customer surveys um, and understand how are they feeling about us and how do they feel when we resolve a complaint, for example, but more broadly.
0: And then in,
1: in my team, we talk to consumer advocates and community groups and say, well, how are things going and what are the things we need to fix? What are the issues we need to address?
0: That feedback loop I think is really important if you're trying to make a change for good. You know, good intentions don't get you all the way all the time, do they?
1: And No, and frankly, um, uh, while I'm not a banker and there's plenty of people who are not bankers in the traditional sense um, who work in banks, um, we're one cohort of the community and if we don't talk to people outside our bubble, we will never get a rich um, answer or range of ways that we can do things to change the way we work or to change an outcome for a customer in vulnerable circumstances. So I'm a big believer in talk to our customers, get their lived experience, talk to the people who support them, get their perception and their um, feedback on what it's like for them. How do we walk in their shoes or get that sense of walking in their shoes? How do we talk to our own people who've been through vulnerable circumstances, understand their perspectives
0: and then we design the solution? So how do you how do you determine if someone's vulnerable? Well, um, gen-
1: generally people tell us. It's oh. really amazing. I find yeah. it amazing. We have six yeah. specialist vulnerability teams. Our customers tell us every day this is what is happening in my life. And, and sometimes it's the most horrendous stories. And I, I do talk about um, domestic and family violence and financial abuse, so elder abuse, because they're probably some of the worst impacts that we see, the worst of what humans can do to each other and then the devastation from the financial impact. It's just um, it's awful. And banks are one of the first places that people go to if they're escaping a domestic violence situation or even thinking about it. So we've got a really strong responsibility to respond with care, to not make the situation more dangerous and to really um, appreciate that someone has disclosed something that's very personal, quite terrifying, and uh, they want us to help them in those circumstances. So I'm, I'm always astonished at how many people tell us what is happening in their life uh, very personal stories and um, and the fact that they're doing that so that we can help them and we understand their circumstances is an enormous privilege and responsibility.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Um, you know, you talk about Sort of the domestic violence and whatnot, and and so there's a number of ethical issues that that go on um, that ended up feeding back to you. And but you mentioned one when we we spoke earlier about uh, abusive transactions um, being being an issue. Could you just share that story a little bit with us? Because I think it's one of those things that um, it's really good to be to be mindful of and to try and and uh, think of ways to to counter that if it happens to you.
1: Yeah, um, so this is one that we discovered a couple of years ago, actually, um, that we just had a bit of a look, at, we had a bit of a look for it and then um, did some data analysis. But what we found is that customers, when they use our payment system, so when you might transfer me money to say, thanks for buying me that coffee, uh, you might write in that coffee or you might to a supplier, write here's your invoice number. Um, Some customers use those payments to send abuse and threats and harassment, um, and they might send it one cent at a time. So I have read messages which include I want to kill you in a bank platform. So someone has sent that through their online banking. Now, I can't imagine what it would feel like to receive that message or what's going through your head to think you'll send it in any case, and particularly in a bank account where your statements are there for seven years. Yeah. But what I think um, about this one is when we discovered it, we then said, well, what's our role in this? Are people allowed to people can talk to each other whatever way they like, yeah, can't yeah, they? Yeah, you know, yeah. what is our role? So it's actually, it was quite an ethical dilemma, which is yeah. why I sort of raised it. Um, and and then it was, an, and then if we are going to do something about it, what would we do about it as well? So um, it, it was quite an interesting process to, one, discover thousands of people send each other abuse and threats and harassment. Um, all the banks have now moved and said, well, actually, we're going to block abusive language. And I know from, from our perspective we have a real-time block if there's a dictionary of words, and if you try to type in one of those words, we'll ask you to change it in real time. And I think it's been more than 30,000 times that we've asked customers to do that. Um, We also monitor, because you can't pick every single word that might get through, so we monitor those sorts of patterns and then uh, we have advanced data analytics running over that Uh, and then a human eye runs over the report and then we decide how would we respond. And it could be that we exit customers from the bank or we send them a warning letter to say, you can't do that on our platform and if you do, we'll um, suspend you or exit you. We've also got a reporting functionality. So if you're a recipient of abuse or threats or harassment, you can report that to us and then we will take action. And the reason we've done that is because we don't know if someone sends you a message saying, I love you, that actually they might have an AVO against them uh, and that they're breaking an apprehended violence order, for example. So,
0: What would you do in
1: that situation, though? Again, we then would review it and then we then evaluate whether we need to send a warning letter, we check if the customer is okay, um, and we take a, a number of different actions depending on what it is.
0: So just stepping, amazing, amazing. Just, just so I can get my head around it and people listening to this can understand the quantity of these, do you have roughly any idea how many transactions you might do in a period of time and how many of those would be would fall under this kind of abusive umbrella. So that the first piece of analysis that was done that sparked the
1: industry to move was three months worth of transactions. It was around eleven million transactions in that time frame, yeah. and what was found was about eight thousand customers were sending very serious threatening um, messages through. Um, through those transactions.
0: And that was initial findings. So that's not including this kind of I love yous that may now fall into also abusing, re, you know, legal legal um, um, right. payments in place. So just taking it all back, because I find it, you know, really fascinating and quite cruel, such a cruel way of um, abuse in, in a sense, what are the kind of thinkings when you guys decided, what should we do about this? What were the the guidelines, you know, that made you go, this is why we can't let this happen. What, what Can you share that with us? Can you?
1: I can. So um, it was when I was working at Commonwealth Bank and we had a number of people um, just saying, what do we do about this analysis? And uh, what can we do and what should we do? And I think the framing of that question was really important. So um, one of my colleagues organised for uh, people who could potentially uh, make a change to be in the room so who had the authority to do something about it plus we also organized for some community experts to join us so people who had experience uh, in domestic and family violence because that's what we saw and we said what can we do what should we do and in fact should we do anything and actually the discussion was well Are we censors? Should we be censoring people? Is this the way they talk to each other? Um, It's not us sending the messages. So it was really good that we canvassed all of the different issues, but then went, well, actually... You can't just build a road and then find out there's accidents on the road and say, so well, just send in the ambulance afterwards. You actually have to build a road that's safe to drive on uh, and that people, pedestrians can't be standing on the side of the road, keep getting hit from it. It's actually incumbent on us to make that a safe place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of the industry, we ra- I raised it actually at an industry forum um, where uh, we were doing some work as a domestic violence working group um, with the major banks and the Australian Banking Association and the Australian-Israel um, Chamber of Commerce and just said, here's what we found. I think maybe we should do something about it. And um, I've just really... I'm really thrilled that the whole industry said, yes, we will. We will do something. We I all grappled. We have the same questions again. We all ask yeah, yeah. the same questions and we grappled and come with it.
0: Together, you know, for the industry, it's a competitive industry and for it to come together on ethics. I mean, ethics is the one area we can't compete on, you know, and we can't allow harm to be caused by our products and our services. So well done. Can, can I ask, was there a level of... Um, discussions around the legal obligations of the bank. And where did Um, they come in? Well so it came, I guess the
1: legal part of it was actually could we do anything about it and what could we do? Um, And that was more about well we needed to change our terms and conditions. So how would we change our terms and conditions so that we we'd already made the ethical decision to say well this is not acceptable on our platform so what do we need to do about it now and the first place to start was change the terms and conditions tell customers this is not acceptable behavior and we don't accept it on our platform and in, actually we were really informed by the e-safety commissioner who's done some fantastic work about safety by design for technology companies mm-hmm. and she pointed us in the direction she said look at what they do in social media companies which I wouldn't necessarily hold up as bastions of ethical behavior or you know ethical um, moderation but they have taken a lot of steps to create safer platforms and the safety by design principles say it should never be for the user to be safe to to have to try to protect themselves it should be for the platform for you to make it a safe space so we literally looked at their terms and conditions, we looked at the way that they talked about their community, and then we said, what does that look like in a banking context?
0: Mm, mm. Well, that's fantastic. I think that idea too, you know, the law being can we, can't we, if we want to do this, how does that work? That's your, that's your basic minimum with regards to behaviour. It's a basic legal structure. But, you know, ethics is above that. Um, and aspiring above that and to bring in the different perspectives that you did is so important um, because it's about a conversation and determining what is the right thing to do. So you just deciding what that is um, could be completely wrong uh, for, for other players. So, yeah, it's really, that's good. Is that sort of a general process that you find that you go through whenever you, you know, come up against ethical issues or it is, was this particularly big? Uh, well, this one was a particularly
1: big one, but I guess, um, you know, we have a code of conduct that talks about should we and asking the should we question. And so you ask can we and then ask should we, and that's all about putting the customer at the centre of our decision-making. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that I see too um, working with our specialist teams on on, custo- uh, on issues around that impact customers in vulnerable circumstances is sometimes can we is so black and white and actually regulators don't want us to apply the can we if If it's going to lead to harmful outcomes. So, we have a, it's incumbent on us to talk to the regulators as well about those instances where we say, well, the rules actually don't help us in these circumstances do the right thing by our customers. And a good example of that is um, we identified as an industry that customers experiencing domestic violence who were fleeing for their lives often fled with no identification. They might then go to get support and they needed, they maybe go to Centrelink to get a crisis payment, but they had no identification. They needed to set up a bank account. And banks were saying, well, we can't. You you don't have any identification. And how can we set this up for you? Um, Because that breaches our rules from Austrac. So um, the the Australian Banking Association, You know, after a lot of work from all of us to um, come up with some case examples, went to the regulator and said, Could you give us some guidelines so that we can do this and help customers in these circumstances? And they issued guidelines that said, Actually, for customers who don't have traditional forms of identification, they'd already done it for. customers, from um, Indigenous customers without traditional forms of identification, but they also said, his other examples, um, you don't have to, we'll give you some flexibility from the anti-money laundering rules yeah. so that you can set up a process that you can help customers. Obviously, when they're back on their feet, they're going to need to show us that identification so that we yeah. can prevent money laundering and all of those things. Yeah. But but if you say I'm a
0: school, yeah, it does that's from right. Perspective sometimes you've got to go through that red line if you've got a sick kid in the car and you're going to the hospital or something. Yes, yeah. And, and I'm just so um encouraged by the relationship between the industry, between the ABA, but particularly with the regulators, um, you know, I think they, you know, they, they do a great job and, and I think prior or around the Royal Commission, it was very much bashing heads, you know, there was a lot of bashing heads and if if, if anything, if, if there's any silver lining to COVID, it is this continuous conversation with this situation that is continuously changing, that's been forced upon many industries and, and really opened up this idea that, hey, this works quite well, this kind of having a conversation, feedback loops, you know, coming with ideas. Can we bend a little on this? How do we make sure that doesn't backfire? What might be the unintended consequences? Like it's really, it's it's very promising um, for you know, providing the best outcome for the customer and for your the employees and for the shareholders. It, you know, it's all encompassing. And I think yeah, I agree. That, the, the, the BFO, and I, I, I see it playing a, a, an integral part in that it's up to the individuals in this process to be able to say, actually, it's, it doesn't work in this case. Uh, you know it's worked for everything else but here's a situation where it doesn't work and to be able to call that out and go okay we need to do something about this you know and for people to feel confident to do that that constant checking point or for customers to be able to call up and go I've just received this piece of material and it's completely inappropriate you you know go back to the bank and the bank might go oh right okay well we better fix that bit of algorithm or whatever that might be you know I think it's really promising. <laughs>
1: yeah I look I agree and and that point that you made about confidence is really important for our people. So how do we make sure we we talk about risk management and making sure that we do follow the rules because they are there for a reason. And it's really important um, that we do make sure that we're managing risk on behalf of our customers and our shareholders. Um, So sometimes when you need to Follow a different process to support somebody in vulnerable circumstances. You need to be able to give our customer facing teams that confidence that we've got your back if you're going to do something that supports a customer and it's slightly outside the box. We have a fantastic um, program of work that's called Empower Me. And so every um, customer-facing staff member has the ability to do something to, to help a customer within, with a, a, a small amount of money that just might change the way that they can, uh, you know, they can surprise and delight a customer or they can just do something a little bit out of the box. And I think that's a really empowering thing. And to know that the rest of the organisation has your back because you're trying to help a customer in the moment um, you're caring, you're listening, you're you're supporting them in that moment. I think that that's really fabulous.
0: Mm, so do I. Um I'm mindful that it's time. I could keep talking. I, i'm I'm loving stories and I, and I love your work, Catherine. Um, it's thanks, really, Chris. Really, um, as I said, encouraging and heartening just to hear hear what you guys are doing. Well, um, who would have thought that I would say thank you to the Royal
1: Commission. I feel like I'm very privileged to work on something I'm very passionate about inside a bank um, and to help customers who really need us. And, you know, all kudos to all of our teams, particularly our specialist teams, who care for our customers and just support them through some of the darkest times. So whatever I can do to help them help our customers better, um, I'm really happy to do it.
0: Yeah, good on you. All right. Well, thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. See you next time. Yeah, thank you.